This is In Focus from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. Each episode of In Focus brings you in-depth analysis and perspective from a different corner of our global network of experts. Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. I'm Barnaby Fletcher, and this is our regular series of podcasts exploring the impact of COVID-19 on sub-Saharan Africa. As we record this on the 1st of June, the number of confirmed COVID-19 cases across sub-Saharan Africa have broken the 100,000 mark. The number of fatalities is approaching 2,500. The curve of new cases recorded across the region still remains relatively shallow compared to what we saw in Europe or the Americas, but overall it also doesn't show much sign of reaching a peak. There are, of course, some good news stories and some more troubling indicators across different countries. Now, this pandemic has come with a range of associated risks. We have previously talked a bit about some of the political challenges that is causing a topic actually that we'll explore in more detail in future updates. But today we are talking about the security environment in Africa and how that has been impacted by this pandemic we find ourselves in. To discuss this, I'm joined by Vincent Rouget, who heads our analysis team for Western Central Africa, and Tim Cox, one of our partners for West Africa, based in Lagos. Vincent, I'm going to go to you first and ask if you could provide a a brief overview of how COVID-19 has affected the security environment across Sub-Saharan Africa. Hi, Barney. Sure. I mean, the the impact has been significant. And as we would expect, you know, it's, it's pretty much unprecedented that governments in this region have had to restrict close borders, restrict movements for such a long period of time. Um, and that, when that first came in, in the end of March, uh, we really feared that it was going to be a significant backlash on security. Perhaps, in fact, the impact hasn't been as bad as we, as we initially expected. Um, when it comes to unrest and the practicality of, of locking down your populations for such a long period of time, governments have actually been fairly pragmatic about how they've been doing it. Uh, they've kept some markets open, for example, in some countries. They've been quite quick at lifting some restrictions in others. So we haven't necessarily seen the backlash against uh, restrictive measures. When it comes to um, incidents targeting foreigners, that was a fear, a concern at the beginning. Uh, At the end of the day, we've seen a a few isolated incidents here and there of foreigners being accused of spreading the virus, but it really hasn't been that significant overall. Um, And there was also a concern that COVID-19 would completely disrupt the response of some governments against terrorism. Um, And in fact, what we're seeing is that counterterrorism operations, for example, in Somalia or in the Sahel, do continue that there is still a level of cooperation that can be achieved um, between regional armies uh, and that some of the leading operations, for example, the the French-led Operation Barkhane in the Sahel haven't stopped. Um, So overall, I don't think we've seen yet necessarily the worst of the security consequences of COVID, but for the time being, they have been manageable. And that's a, a pretty positive overall picture. But how much is that varying across the continent? I mean, if you take South Africa, we've definitely seen security incidents caused by COVID-19, but we've also seen a lockdown-related fall in some categories of crime, such as murder. In other words, it's not necessarily a worse security environment, but a changed one. Is this the case everywhere or are there some countries or regions where there's been a more sharp deterioration? 
So I suppose in let's let's take a look at urban areas first. And there's been quite a lot of countries where we have seen um, the crisis really add more tension than previously to the relationship between government security forces on one hand and population on the other. Um, places like Nigeria, for example, have seen a few incidents um, of police, you know, heavy handedness in enforcing restrictions. Um, we've seen similar incidents in, in Kenya uh, and also in places that you wouldn't necessarily expect um, the, the same type of incidents, such as Senegal, for example, where we've seen quite a few security forces abused around, around curfews. Um, there's not necessarily hotspots per se, like places where security has considerably deteriorated um, in, in response to COVID-19. But there's certainly some of those countries where um, COVID-19 has introduced and will introduce an, an extra element of tension in that relationship. Tim, analysts like me and Vincent spend our time understanding the trends in security threats. But you and our colleagues focus on crisis and security consulting are experts in helping the clients mitigate those threats. Could you give us a sense of how client concerns have shifted during this pandemic? Sure. Thanks, Barney. Typically, when we're looking at crisis events, we view them through the lens of the three R's, i.e. the readiness, the response, and then the recovery phase. And I think this, this crisis is no different. Uh, before we entered into this period, we were doing a lot of work with clients around helping them to develop resilience within their organizations and prepare for an eventuality which would lead to wide-scale business disruption. The event that transpired was somewhat unusual in that it didn't have the usual geographical parameters, meaning that many of our clients found themselves stuck between the, the option of staying in countries where the healthcare systems were less developed and they faced the risk of a, a rapidly deteriorating security environment, contrasted with the prospect of returning back to parts of the world where the healthcare systems also were struggling to deal with, with the issue at hand. So during the response phase, a great deal of the advice and guidance that we were providing was quite tactical in nature. It was about relocating employees, securing assets, helping businesses essentially wind down and, and move, into the, move into a comatose state to enable them to put everything on hold while they managed and dealt with the impact of the crisis. I think now we're starting to come out of the other side and we're starting to see much more focus and, and far more strategic thinking around what the recovery will look like and how businesses are able to get back to work, get their employees back to where they want them to be, and, and ultimately how to adapt to the, the new world that we find ourselves in. What kind of recommendations are you, are you giving to clients in terms of that adaptation you talked about or in terms of dealing with some of the challenges that you and Vincent have mentioned? Well, I think the first thing is, is an acceptance, which is in, there is increasing consensus around that there will not be a return to business as usual as we knew it before the COVID-19 crisis. At least we're not going to see that in the short term. Most businesses now are recognizing that they face long-term fundamental issues with their operating models, with their supply chains, and with their historical practices of being able to move people relatively freely from location to location or jurisdiction to jurisdiction. So a lot of our advice now is focused on how to adapt to that new reality. What can you put in place to ensure, despite the requirement to 
go to work and to conduct business, how do you make sure that your people are protected? Especially when we're looking at increased remote working practices, we're looking at assets being held in sites that are perhaps less secure because people are being forced to work from locations other than those which they would usually work for, and how to deal with a wide range of evolving security threats. And I think Vincent's comments are are, are salient and very interesting. We we haven't seen the wide-scale breakdown in law and order and the consequent deterioration in the security environment that, that perhaps some of the more bearish analysts were expecting us to see. But what we have seen is a spike in different types of threats. We've seen an increase in cybercrime. We've seen a significant increase in fraudulent activity, where criminal groups, organized and petty, are preying upon the vulnerabilities that are inherent within this new dispersed remote working system. And so a lot of the advice and guidance that we're providing at the moment is focused upon those new world threats that organizations face and inherently are relatively poorly set up to deal with because this is a a new way of working a new way of managing exposure a lot of your work in normal times uh giving this type of uh, advice uh to clients involves being on the ground going to a client's operations understanding the systems they have in place understanding the local context and using that to understand what measures will be most effective in in mitigating some of the, the risks you talk about Just as a practical question, how do you do this in the age of lockdown and travel restrictions? Yeah, it's it's a great question, and it's a a very challenging area for us. We have a significant number of our employees embedded within client projects and client operations across the continent, and many of them have have been seriously impacted in terms of their their stay in region or stay in country and the longevity of the period at which they've been on duty because they've simply been unable to travel. And I think one of the real challenges for us as a business and for many of our clients has been adapting to that reality that you just can't move people in the way in which historically it's always been possible. And it speaks to the earlier point about the the fact that there aren't the usual geographical confines around this issue that you would normally expect to experience, you say, a natural disaster or or um, a conflict zone where you're able to relocate people and continue as, as normal. And that's just not the case. So it's been really challenging. We, like most organizations, have embraced um, lots of the, the, the new technological solutions. Um, we have been conducting security reviews by proxy um, using client representatives to, to move around an, an office location or move around a work site um, to capture a lot of what's going on by camera and by film and relay that to us. Um, we have been conducting a lot of the work that we would typically be, do, be doing face-to-face, such as the crisis preparation workshops and the crisis management workshops. We've been doing those remotely. And actually, in some ways, that's proved to be a, a more realistic a more realistic playthrough of what it would be like in real life. I mean, when a crisis strikes, it's very rare that you can form your crisis management team in quite the way that you would want. So it's actually adding or enforcing a bit more realism into the scenario. I think um, your final point on that would be that we won't see a, a wholesale return to the the world as we knew it before. And it's not as if we're going to flick a switch and suddenly be able to move people around in the way in which we'd want to be. So we have to adapt to the new normal. We have to embrace the the new technologies that enable us to to support remotely. But crucially, we mustn't lose sight of the fact that the local threat context is arguably more important than ever 
in, res- in the recovery phase of this cycle. Different regions, different jurisdictions, different localities and communities have been affected very differently by this crisis. And so the world in which our clients are stepping back into might not resemble the world that they knew on a local level just a, a mere six months ago. And so a lot of the work that we're doing is helping clients understand what might have changed and what have been the, the grassroots, granular level impacts of what's happened to people and how has that manifest itself in a changing security environment. I think it's very important not to lose sight of, of that now, that the, the crisis has been very uneven in terms of its impact and consequently the effects of it are very uneven as well. Well, that leads me very nicely on to my final question, which I'll, I'll pose to both of you. Uh, quite simply, how do you see this situation evolving? So, Vincent, are these changes to the security environment that, that you've spoken about likely to persist even after the immediate public health threat subsides, uh, or will they ease as soon as lockdowns ease? And Tim, talking about that recovery stage, do you have any advice for companies operating across Africa as they look to restore some normalcy to their operations and adjust to that post-pandemic world you talk about? Yeah, so well, I, I was maybe you know, positive in terms of the level of impact earlier on, but I also think that that impact has has yet to fully play out. And, and if in many ways, we could see the worst still ahead of us rather than behind us when it comes to security conditions and, and consequences. Um, it will take a few months for the the economic fallout from COVID to fully manifest. In some countries, we're expecting inflation. Um, and and the kind of currency exchange rates to to depreciate, they'll have a direct impact on the cost of living. Um, in other countries, food systems have been disrupted by um, the recent border closures, and again, that will take a few more months to to come up. And then we do have um, the kind of the level of of frustration that has been. Uh, gradually increasing during the lockdown as a result of security checkpoints or security uh, or poor interactions with security forces that again will probably come bubbling up to the surface within a few months. Uh, and so in many ways, I wouldn't be surprised if if we do see more um, security incidents within the next month and in the second half of 2020, both in terms of crime where really lives get hard and and the kind of the social economic consequences of COVID start playing out in earnest, um, but also in terms of unrest and in potentially small spontaneous protests or riots uh, emerging in many places out of a small scale incident simply because people are on edge. Um, when it comes to conflict as well, I think we're yet to see the full consequences of it. Um, you know, we've had a few months where humanitarian operations have been disrupted by border closures, the restrictions on flight, uh, and that's an impact that will that will play out again uh, with a bit of a lag in, in the next in the next few months. Um, so the outlook is not necessarily very positive when it comes to, to security. And, and I think many of the adjustments that Tim did mention just a moment ago will will become more and more important because security is about to get worse. Yeah, I'd absolutely agree with that. And and I think to compound that, if it's a way of putting it, one of the expectations on many businesses that, that are returning to work will be that they will have to do more with less. 
both in terms of the resource available to them and from a budgetary perspective. And when we look at the very real, very human impact of this crisis on the ground here in, in parts of the continent, this also has to stack up against the very real economic hardship, which a lot of businesses have faced over the last few months. And as we see a winding down of government subsidies across the world, as we see an expectation that the businesses will return to something resembling business as usual, so we also see a contraction in terms of budgets, in terms of discretionary spend, and in terms of the resources available, both in terms of financial and, and in terms of manpower as well. So one of the real challenges for businesses coming back into this post-COVID world that, that we're eagerly anticipating is going to be getting more done with, with less capability and less resource. And that's going to lead to budget restrictions in some of those parts of, of business which are so important in terms of understanding what's going on in the local environment, in terms of mitigating the, the enhanced risks that companies face and their people face. And it's really, really important that businesses don't take lose sight of the fact that the security threats that, that existed before, if anything, have accentuated, and we've seen that pretty much across the board. And they're going to be facing very real challenges on the ground. And that is going to be set against the backdrop of not having the same capacity and resource to be able to mitigate and manage those risks. So it's very challenging times ahead, I'm afraid. Tim, Vincent, thank you very much for taking the time to discuss this. An article providing more detail on the security situation across Africa is available on our website. Please do visit controlrisk.com forward slash COVID-19 to read this article or our other analysis and find out how we are helping clients navigate this crisis. And please do reach out. In the coming episodes, we'll be discussing the impact of COVID-19 on upcoming elections in Africa, the current and future status of lockdown measures, and the role of continental or regional bodies such as the African Union. Until then, I'm Barnaby Fletcher, and thank you for listening to this podcast from Control Risks. If you enjoyed what you heard on this episode of In Focus, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen. And be sure to subscribe to our other podcasts as well, such as The Global Insight, our fortnightly panel discussion exploring the impact of the most pressing issues on global business. All of our podcasts are available wherever you listen. Just search Control Risks. You can follow all of our analysis and find out how we are helping businesses build organizations that are secure, compliant, and resilient by visiting controlrisks.com.